The metaverse is emerging as the next big technology platform and promises to become the next frontier for human experiences on the internet. Into the Metaverse covers companies, technologies, and trends that are bringing this promise to life. Join thought leaders Matthew Canterman, CFA, the Director of Research at Ball Metaverse Research Partners, and Jonathan Raz Friedman, founder and CEO of SuperSocial, as they interview the brilliant minds building, shaping, and investing in the Metaverse. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 18 of season 2 of Into the Metaverse. Today we're going to jump straight into all things Decentraland, Marketing and Brands in the Metaverse with Maria Kontinen, the Marketing Director of Decentraland. Prior to Decentraland, Maria had several years in marketing, including as a Managing Director at Lokwood Publishing, a Marketing Strategy Consultant for Hutch Entertainment, a Marketing Director for Flare Games, and a similar role at Rovio, the legendary Rovio, just to name a few. Maria holds a Bachelor's of Arts degree from Tampere University of Applied Sciences and a master's degree in internet and game studies from University of Tampere. I definitely want to do that degree as well. Welcome, Maria. So great to have you with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm hoping that this is going to be as, as fun as it sounds like. So before high we, expectation, huh? I'm sure it's going to be. Before we dive in, we have a short announcement to share with you all. Okay, so jumping right into it, Maria. Before we get into the weeds of marketing and more in-depth on the central end, let's start from a very high level and drill down into it. Our first favorite question, as our listeners know, is still a good one as we seek to build consensus around all things metaverse. So, Mario, for you, for the central end, what is the metaverse in your mind and what it is not, perhaps not less important, and, and why does Web3 fit into your definition of the metaverse? Wonderful question. I, I've heard a lot of answers also in your podcast. So I'm, I'm very excited to tell my personal perspective. So I, I think coming from the Web3 perspective, um, I think of Web3 as a future of the internet, the next evolution of the internet. And I think metaverse is part of that bigger story. And I think the metaverse is the fun and the engaging, the social aspect of being online. I like the idea of the kind of immersive 3D visual world, uh, but I think also one of the big elements is the social aspect. Like, it's not about browsing websites on my own, on my phone, on my computer. It's not a broadcasting my status to a closed friend group in a text feed, but it's actually like all about collaboration, communal experiences. And I think that's what I'm missing a lot right now that I don't want to go to a museum on my own. I want to share that experience with others and being in the 3D environment is a social experience. So I don't really want to think about it only as a shopping place either. I think it's also educational, it's artistic, it's really inspirational. And I think the Web3 part of it, it really brings that important aspect of the user changing the role from passive consumer that we are kind of right now, we are kind of, yeah, these passive consumers in a lot of ways, but I'd like to see this uh, role expanded to being an active citizen or even better work contributor. Um, so I really like the idea of opening up this role of passive user to an active participant uh, that is able to both develop as well as enjoy the future internet. And I'm going to point out back to one of your episodes. I really enjoyed the uh, episode with Paul, Paul Bettner, who was talking about this well, coming from games and background myself, I really liked how he was 
talking about this dream that we all wanted to become game developers and it was such a long dream that you had to go to school and learn coding languages and do internships like maybe 18 years later you could actually release a game and now kids can do this in Roblox in just a couple of days and I love this idea and I, I think this journey is the one that I would like to see also expanded not just in content creation but also contributing to product development or becoming an active citizen and I think that's that's the web three and the metaverse is kind of like the the next evolution of the internet the visual internet and one thing that I'd like to add to that is created as a public good there's That's... a lot to unpack there and I just want to start where you started which is the social aspect and you're a listener so you know I like to hit on this but and maybe you got it from from me whether consciously or subconsciously but I totally agree that at the core of everything that's happening with the metaverse is a social movement. You know, we can talk about technology and technicals all day. We can talk about this platform and that platform. And as you even mentioned it, Paul Bettner got into this as well on our last episode. Go check that out. Um, but, you know, it's it's what's really driving demand for the metaverse is human nature. People are innately social creatures. They want to be with other people. And the metaverse is giving them a way to do that when they physically can't be together. And that's what I think is so powerful. So I'm really happy that you started there because I think, you know, that gets lost in a lot of the noise around, you know, which platform, which crypto, da, 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 all, all the different considerations, particularly as someone who's an investor in the, in the investment community. And it's my job to kind of help guide people on that journey. They just want to know what to buy. But sometimes it's really good to step back and abstract it to there. So I really liked that. Yo, and I know you also wanted to go. No, I just thought that the addition, uh, echo what Matthew said, but also I think, Maria, the addition of the metaverse should be a public good. That was a, that's a very, I think, unique comment that we are hearing in the podcast. I think in one episode where uh, we had um, Dr. Shapiro, who spoke about how do we build a egalitarian metaverse that also came up as a public good, uh, even more broadly in terms of evolving the internet into an egalitarian system and the opportunities that an infrastructure like blockchain provides. And so it's great to hear that from you. And I know this is something that is important as part of the decentralized ethos that we are going to talk about today, which is actually a, a kind of a good jumping stone to perhaps elaborating briefly more about Decentraland and, you know, for those listening who are maybe less familiar with the platform, maybe, you know, Mario, you can just give a brief overview of what really is Decentraland, what are you working on achieving with the platform, the environment, and how, it, how does it differentiate from other platforms and environments out there, either if it's Web 2.0, quote unquote, or Web 3.0, quote unquote. And then lastly, what is the core value proposition that you believe is part of the ethos of the central end as a platform? And so I, I know I asked a lot of questions in that. So maybe let's start with the first one, which is for, for our audience who is less familiar with the central end, just if you can give a brief overview of what is the central end and what is the, ob the main objective of the, of the venture. Yeah, absolutely. This is my favorite part because it's, it's, it's really exciting and that's what I really, really love. I'm, I'm super passionate about that, but I think it's easier to maybe explain it from the historical perspective. So um, 
as we are in Web3, there's usually a white paper. So let's start from that. The original white paper was written in 2017, which makes us like ancient at this point already. Um, Decentraland is a 3D virtual social world. Um, it's, it opened officially in February 2020. So we've been around for a couple of years, like publicly available for people to log in and test it out. So it's a, it's a virtual world. You can you can browse around. It's somewhat gamified, but I wouldn't call it a game. It's a platform. It's an open platform for anybody to participate, develop, and build on. But what really makes it special, and what's what's really like quite something else, is that it is the world's first fully decentralized virtual world, and it's owned by its users through the DAO, Decentraland DAO. So I'll I'll go back to that in a bit, but I think the original idea which which is still very much valid i think but i think we're we're taking big steps towards actually actualizing some of those dreams of the past was that it, it started as a proof of concept of like can you actually own assets on the blockchain so it's not just financial transactions but actually um, moving things from one person to another through smart uh, smart contracts and it, it's quite funnily enough it was uh, originally on bitcoin blockchain later on changed to eth and nowadays we also have polygon on top of it but in our case it was about land ownership so the idea was that if you can own land and you can trade it with another person through a smart contract in the virtual setting could this actually impact the real world could you actually start implementing smart contracts in the real society and i think the other big social experiment that we are doing um, and learning from is the DAO, so new systems of governance and business models is a platform like this sustainable? Can a DAO actually have a sustainable business model where it can um, further develop a platform, but also make money through it and, and give that money back always to the community to recreate and continue like a long-term plan of product development? So in a way, like all the, all the DAO members are investors in the platform and that makes it a really different way of um, developing a product in the long term because they're all owners at the same time as they are de developers. You also asked about like, how are we different from the other metaverses, whether it's Web2, the virtual worlds or games. I think the the big change is that we're, Decentraland is not controlled by a centralized organization and there is nobody, no organization or no person who has power to modify any of the rules of the software, the smart contracts, the contents of the land or our virtual currency, the or prevent anybody else from accessing this platform as well. So when we talk about can't be evil, we actually mean it because all these um, opportunities of abusing power has been already written away from, from the foundation as well as from the DAO. I wanted to just circle back to the DAO aspect of Decentraland. We'd some, we talked about that a lot with Sarah McKenna from Alien Worlds, and they have a similar structure. The DAO controls a lot of the governance of, of their platform. It's a game, not a metaverse. But, um, you know, I, I, I think you could envisage a scenario where a DAO gets corrupted and there's negative externalities from having no centralized control, right? If someone somehow got 51% of the validator keys or 50.001% of the validator keys, they can do whatever they want. They could take all the money, they could take all the assets. And, you know, I've had this debate with people about like in the real world, like using smart contracts to do title transfer for property. I'm in the process of buying a house, so it's relevant right now. Um, you know, that, 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 you know, if someone hacked a bunch of grandmas and got their validator keys for the city's title registry, 
they could take everyone's house and they own it. And, and so how do you balance pure decentralization and empow- uh, decentralization, empowering individuals, making the metaverse a public good with also ensuring there is a level of governance that, it, that, that helps to prevent negative externalities? Wow, I don't think there's a single answer to that kind of question. I think what I what I can see from the DAO perspective is that there, of course, there's always a committee to execute a lot of the decisions that the DAO platform is making. Um, but also, there is an optimistic perspective to technology that is definitely inherent in Decentraland that we are hoping and, and envisioning a better future for the internet and, and expecting that people are also aligned with that vision and as product owners they uh, have the best of the product in their mind that's that's kind of like it has to be built in in the in the vision as well but as i said i'm a full-on optimist with these kind of things and i'm not a coder so i'm not the person who can uh, figure out the smart contracts and put uh, proofs in place for that but i love the idea of of envisioning an open um internet where everybody is able to participate and rather than building it only from the negative perspective you try to find the right right ways to do the right things and empowering the individuals instead i, I just wanna I, I think this is this is a great this is a great answer Maria. i do have one more comment on DAOs and the the way sort of the user-owned platform potentially could work. On the one hand, I totally recognize and also excited about the level of experimentation with DAOs, you know, decentralized autonomous organizations. It's obviously an experiment. We are really, really at the early stages of what it could mean, how does it work? And I push back again, you know, on a lot of people who dismiss the idea of DAO. Although I also push back on people who are claiming DAOs is the future of, of organization. It, it may will, it may or may not be the future of how we organize ourselves, just like the LLC have been a few hundred years ago. We, we may or may not see that happen. Uh, you know, we choose to be less deterministic about it. I do recognize it's an experiment. At the, at the other side, though, and this is something that came up in the conversation in episode nine with Professor Udi Shapiro when we were talking about building a democratic metaverse. To his point, the issue or the challenge with crypto-led platform is that one coin equals one vote. And in a DAO, the votes are determined by how many coins you own. More coins you own, more votes you have. Do you have a concern or Decentraland as a platform, as, as an organization, do you have a concern that these type of arrangement, because of the nature of cryptocurrency, are going to lead to essentially a pseudo-democratic system, while in reality, the DAO is really controlled by minority of people who hold majority of the coins? Yeah, I guess that's also quite built in at this point in, in the development of DAOs that everybody's testing out totally different kind of voting and governance systems. I've seen so many exciting ones as well. And I think what's what's really happening is that we are testing different democratic systems. Not most of them will work out. There will be definitely problems and all kinds of misusage. But then again, 
um, I think we can all agree that the current democratic representative system of, of our societies probably isn't the most valid anymore in the time of digital technology and people would like to participate a bit more rather than voting every four years on one topic. So I think the opportunity at hand is to actually try out something new and, and trial things because it is still in the virtual world. It is not in the real world. We're not going to be uh, doing anything hugely damaging if we are testing different voting systems. And I'm actually pretty excited if we can um, utilize the DAO to collaborate with other DAOs and see how their voting systems are working and see if there's a better ways to um, put power into certain voting um, methods. Uh, I don't think we've definitely, we haven't cracked it yet, uh, but it's worth testing it out and seeing what's going to work out. And I think the, the idea of collaboration is extremely important at this point. Like we need to be able to compare notes, see what works, what doesn't work. Very similarly to mobile games and, and how we started working in that industry was all about like trial and error and, and definitely share the errors because you need to learn how to avoid the problems, avoid the, the faults of the system. But yeah, at least we're a virtual reality type of layer where these mistakes can be made and it's not going to be causing um, corruption or um, fallouts of different countries' systems at this point. But yeah, I think governments are, governments are definitely looking at this because they are really curious about how to enable, like, enable and, and empower their citizens. And if we can be the testbed, that's pretty cool. That's a that's a that's a great that's a great call out. And I do want to ask before we I know we're switching gears in a second to a different point, but it, it, what would be one or two things about the the central and DAO that that you are proud of or you feel has been a really great accomplishment of that that proves that the DAO specifically that the central and DAO is capable of. I think what the DAO seems to be one of the, the most active ones around. And what I really like seeing is that they are actually coming up with really nice active um, features that they want to implement into the system. For example, linked wearables was one of these things, like everybody's talking about interoperability, but who's actually doing anything about it? And the DAO wanted to participate in that through um, third-party NFTs that would be integrated into the Decentraland platform as NFTs. And the DAO proposed that DAO also helped the development and they also go through every single um, admission. So it still has to go through the DAO, but it was really amazing to see how quickly the feature went through, how the voting systems were iterated and improved on. Um, I think that was just like, that was my first project at Decentralized Foundation and, and just getting to see the democratic system of feature development. Um, that was pretty cool. But there's a lot of like grant systems as well. And I think that's pretty inspirational that um, the DAO has its own um, grant pool and they are able to deliver um, with investments for cool products. So, for example, I think one of the most exciting new things that is coming up is going to be our virtual reality version of Decentraland. This was something that the DAO wanted to do. They found the funding, they found the developer, and now the product is coming through the DAO rather than the foundation. So. There's a demand from the users. The users will also be able to de develop and invest into that um, feature. I think it's really cool to see, you know, the users driving product development in that sense. And so that that's a big win, I think, for Decentraland. 
you pre you just before that mentioned you know mobile gaming you come from a background which includes rovio and other mobile gaming companies for those that don't know rovio <clears throat> not a small company they created something called angry birds most of us know angry birds it was one of the most viral popular mobile games at one point company hasn't really diversified away from angry burns you could call it the angry birds company mostly but it's very successful nonetheless even movies about it now uh but i think even more importantly than that if you look at companies like rovio supercell that were kind of at the forefront of mobile games they spawned this ecosystem of talent that spread across the industry and led to you know multiple successes and so it's really nice to see that as well but you know before we get into you know, more specifics about Decentraland, I just want to kind of get your thoughts about where we're at in the development of Web3-based metaverse platforms, Web3-based social platforms like Decentraland. You know, it just seems like it's really, really early. And this is what we chatted with Tim O'Reilly about. It's just that we're so early in the development of the protocols and the underlying foundations of this that the amount of financial capital plowing in is kind of hard to justify uh like when you look at like a16z and they have billions of dollars in dry powder ready to invest in web3 and you know just for our, our audience to put it in perspective roblox has closing in on 60 million daily active users that's a centralized platform but they're building it something like sandbox to centraland measures in the thousands of daily active users so it's a much smaller scale it's much more nascent so you know again just kind of where are we in the cycle and, and, and how do you respond to critics who may look at all the capital, all the investment going in skeptically and, 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 and you know, just relative to where we are? Yeah, that's a great question. I think totally fair question as well. Um, I was just looking at some of the graphics from Decentraland from 2016 when they started putting stuff together. We call it the Stone Age of Decentraland. It feels like it's so long time ago. Uh, but in just the two years that it's been live, I think the product has gone quite quite like huge leaps onwards. I think the team was pioneering some of the ERC 721 compliant smart contracts back in the day and now one of the most active DAOs. And I think what's really exciting also is the, the NFTs actually have always a natural part of utility. So I think the team has been doing amazing groundbreaking work under the hood like the infrastructure, the decentralization of technology as well. Um, but comparing to Roblox and no Fortnite, absolutely not fair. Uh, Decentraland is not a game, it's an open platform for self-expression and yeah, a couple of years old as well. We do have a lot of game developers, so fair enough for that. Uh, they are mainly working on the platform. There, there's some really popular games on the platform as well. They do get a lot of like gamers entering the, the system. But um, there's a lot of other stuff as well, so art and fashion. And, and I think the, 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 the ethos of the open uh, development platform has always been the driving force for organic growth for Decentraland rather than gaming or actually like earning money. I think it's always been about the self-expression and collaboration, um, the development of these things. So comparing to, you know, multi-platform, multi-million companies that have 10 years track record of being amazing, it's a bit unfair, but I think personally, I was so happy to see the, the Gartner's hype cycle that just came out for 2022 and Metaverse is the first thing they're saying more than 10 years away. So I think we have some years to go before we can actually start talking about the Metaverse, but we're definitely working on the infrastructure side of things, figuring out the protocol. So I think the more 
fair comparison is actually the, the like the internet pioneers of the 1990s and they were talking a lot about open internet and how the protocols how the standards should be uh, i think eff was doing absolutely amazing pioneering work and i think i would love to compare us more in that place where there's 200,000 people online and they're figuring it out what is this internet for we're kind of in that like what is this web3 for what is going to be the use cases of this is this going to be opening up uh, a better fairer more private more safe use of internet that is not going to be driven by cooperation but actually driven by the users by citizens by contributors i think that's kind of like where where i'm looking at it from well i i think i think that there is a few and this is i think the challenge of things happening at the same time right i agree with you to a large extent i think generally the concept of the metaverse that interoperable universe where everything is connected everything is interoperable the internet evolves to 3d it's definitely in the early stages is it like gartner says more than 10 years less than 10 years i i think that's no one is sitting with a stopwatch and really able to measure but it, it's definitely a way to go um i do think it's probably more like the beginning of the internet however when the internet started we didn't have anything so everything was new today you have platforms like roblox you have uh, game environments like Fortnite, like Minecraft. So people have a reference. And of course, there is the rest of the web. Um, so people have a reference when we look at something that is so nascent. But you're not wrong. And I do echo what you're saying, which is it is very, very early days. So let's all just be patient and allow the experimentation to go through. And then I, I, there's another thing that I think is important. We need to make sure that we don't mix everything together. For example... In my mind, the metaverse is emerging. I think Matthew and I both believe that the metaverse is emerging. It's going to take three years, seven years, 15 years. It doesn't really matter. It's emerging. There's going to be challenges. There are going to be growing pains. And there are already proto-metaverse platforms like Roblox, potentially Fortnite, Creative, um, and so on and so forth that are at a certain large scale. Then the key question is going to be not if the metaverse is going to be built, but what is it going to look like? Is it going to be open, democratic, egalitarian, user-owned, etc., etc.? Or is it going to be centrally owned like what happened with the first wave of social media platforms like Facebook, Snapchat, so on and so forth, Roblox to some extent, and so on and so forth. And then the third is whatever direction it takes, is it central, is it open and decentralized, or is it a mix of two? what is the role of Web3 technologies, blockchain, crypto, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, so I think we really need to make sure that all of those things are not bundled together in one mishmash that is very confusing and really take a point of view, which I think that's what we're working on in the podcast to really provide that point of view, that all of those things are happening at the same time and ultimately will contribute to the emergence of hopefully an open, interoperable, democratic metaverse, but they are all happening separately and it's still completely unclear how they do come together to realize the promise and the vision of the metaverse. Yeah, I think that's totally on point. And I was just thinking about just something that you said earlier, like we are building on, on top of things and there's a lot of comparison points, whereas at the early internet, there was nothing to start with. There was like messaging lists and mailing lists. But I think 
we are definitely in the same place with with mobile gaming I, I always come back to this because this is my perspective but like 12 years ago there was no mobile gaming and there was a huge pushback from the games industry saying who's going to be playing games on mobile like why on earth anybody would like to look at anything on that little screen using your fingers we already have pc and we have consoles like this seems like a very silly thing and i remember going to a couple of meetings where the the opponent on the other side just puts their blackberry on the table and then you're starting to conversation about mobile advertising mobile gaming like unfortunately this person is not able to understand the world that it's about to open up because they're not using that kind of smartphone yet that has interaction with other people and you are socially connected with your phone to the rest of the world it was mainly just a device for work at that point so i think we're seeing a lot of like similarities and what I really enjoyed in that time as well, it was all about the collaboration and, and sharing notes, sharing learnings and making sure that everybody was also like welcome to that space. Like everybody who was passionate about games was like pulled in, like, please come with us and we're going to be building some really exciting things. Let's test it out. There was no playbooks. It was totally pioneering a wild west. And I'm definitely in the same position again, like, it's all wilderness and we need to just go straight through and see what's coming up and, and let's share those learnings. This is going to be having to be like, a, if, if we want to do this right, we need to do this in the open as a public good from that perspective, because the commercial opportunities will come once those foundations are laid in the right way. And this is the right time to have these conversations and inspire each other to learn. Matthew, do you want to, this is great, Maria. I, I thank you for that commentary. Matthew, do you want anything else to add on this point before we switch gear to talk a bit about brands? Yeah, no, I, I just, I kind of liked what you were saying, what you were both saying, and, you know, I'll just provide my view. It's, it, you know, the metaverse, as I like to say, is a social movement. It's, it's a concept of spending more of our time together in digital worlds, connecting the physical and the digital together more closely. Web3, when we talk about that, and I like to be specific when I use that term, it's technologies like blockchain, crypto, and NFTs, and DAOs, right? That potentially becomes one aspect of the financial and or governance rails of a metaverse. And people like to confuse those terms together. And I remember when, after Facebook changed its name to Meta, and I had already been kind of one of the thought leaders in the financial community about the concept of the metaverse, I had so many questions about which tokens should I buy, mana or sand? And it's and I'm just like, you've got to step back like eight steps because you're starting at the wrong point. You like like you need to have a much higher understanding of what's happening before you can make that decision. And so I think this conversation just kind of sums up exactly that. It's there's lots of layers to what's happening. There's different parts of the tech stack that are being built for different uh, use cases, different technology sets and we're a long way from all of that coming together and we can't be deterministic about any one of those becoming the end result of this vision of the metaverse well put extremely well put and i'd love to add a little extra to that as well that i think um we get a lot of questions about land obviously like land ownership is this the thing it's not about making money on the land this is my perspective so this, it's all about self-expression. Like, what are you actually doing in the metaverse? Are you building experiences? Are you building some new uh, open source materials that you're sharing with the community? Are you organizing events and parties? Are you doing art exhibitions? What are you actually contributing? And that's the key here. 
100%. Yeah, I like to I like to joke that it was on the sandbox. It wasn't just Central Land, I think. But like, I saw that one of the big accounting firms bought land in the metaverse, and I was just like, "You're gonna build a tax advisory inside of sandbox? Like, that sounds like the worst thing ever." And that's not that's not a, a gripe at all at them. It's just, you know, yo, and we've talked about this before. If you're buying land in the metaverse to get value out of that, you need to have a plan of what you're going to build and how you're going to attract people. Exactly as you're saying, how do you make your plot of land Times Square of the metaverse? Uh, and people come in and just like, oh, I'm going to own it and then I'm going to flip it. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, I mean. Let's just... Yeah, that's actually a really important. Yeah, I was just wanted to say that there's actually a really important part of the Decentraland history that relates to Burning Man, and I think there's a lot of reasons why I think like Burning Man has a lot of lot to do with the '90s internet as well and the whole open internet movement as well. But I think Burning Man is is very similar to what we are doing, which is a it's it it is a partial of land, and there's people with extreme creativity that will be using that plot of land in the most exciting way to get the food traffic and get to socialize with others because burning man doesn't exist either if there's nobody who wants to come and see your cool buildings and and all the amazing events and activities that are happening there so i think that's that part is something that is super important to remember that there's the creativity there's the the people's collaboration together not just as individuals but also like who's my neighbor how do i work with them is this a district how what can, can we do a block party here? That's that's where it becomes really fun and social. And, and look, I think also to wrap up this point before we switch gear to a different topic, but we, we are at a very early stage. There is a lot of greed. There's going to continue to be a lot of greed. This is not surprising. Every new technological innovation cycle has that level of greed. We just need to call it out, recognize there is greed, let it be part of it and embrace it because there is no other option. You can't really ignore it. Um, they're going to be bad actors, not just now, in the future as well. It's part of the evolution. It's part of the process and the journey that new technologies enable. And over the long term, there has to be more unique, meaningful things being built. And I believe there will be, and it's just going to take time. As more people become more familiar, more people look for this type of thing, more people build for these type of experiences, which I think is a great uh, opportunity to switch gears to talk about some of those opportunities, right? And brands are in a way serving to some extent as a 21st century church, right? They are communities. They have a mission and a purpose and all of these glorified things that people get excited about, right? I don't just buy Lululemon pants because of their functional thing. I feel the brand resonates with me. There's something about that spirit. It's kind of a bit of BS, but it's also true. We are humans. We like stories and communities that we get emotionally connected to. There is a reason why some person is obsessed with Peloton and a reason why some person, like my wife, is obsessed with SoulCycle. There, there is a reason for that. Um, and there's a lot of research about that, so we're not going to go into that. What I wanted to say is brands play an instrumental role, not just in realizing some of the things that needs to be done now and experienced it to be built. But brands can actually, because of their global access, because of the communities they serve, brands have an opportunity to help popularize the concept of what is a virtual world? What is a persistent experience? What are those metaverse things that everyone keeps talking about that a fraction of the world 
knows, which is exactly why we started this podcast, to become the leading destination to learn about anything related to the metaverse. And so that diving into more about the Decentraland angle, we'd love to hear from you, Maria, on what type of things you see are happening organically and through collaborations with Decentraland when it comes to brands. What are they doing? What are they looking for? What are they asking you about? And then on the other side, what... For those who aren't thinking about the metaverse yet, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, okay. That's a huge question, but let's let's give it a go. So I think I'm, I'm participating in, in some of these brand conversations. The most amazing thing with Decentraland is that it's, it is an open platform, so anybody can go and build on it. So I don't actually get to talk with all of them. There's a lot of... Um, very independent brands that just keep on they they go in and they build stuff and they organize things and i only see it on twitter which is like that makes me so happy when they are able to do that and i don't need to be a gatekeeper or a centralized marketing character that you have to go through me you don't there's self-service tools for everything so a lot of my job is actually onboarding the brands to think like that like how do you unlearn from your old marketing ways of thinking that you have to go through agency or you have to go through power power people or any kind of like, uh, yeah, gates, bottlenecks. There is no such thing. Um, the platform is basically open and even the curation process of wearables is done by the community curator. So you don't need to ever talk to me in order to do something really cool in there as a brand. But then again, there's a lot of really fun brands that I get to work with and, and work with them on how they want to enter the Web3 way of thinking. It's, it's usually a philosophical discussion, which, which is also really interesting that they figured out that there's a new movement. There's people, um, they are excited about empowering the community. So we're not talking about fans anymore. We're not even talking about consumers. They are actually thinking of their own con communities. Uh, how can they give more back to the community? Can I organize an event for my community? How can I give them something? And I think a lot of the, the Web3 tools that blockchain and, and the metaverse has been a enabling it, they are really excellent marketing tools for engaging with your community and this is not just for brands i see like excellent artists doing this as well that they do airdrops they do po-ups there's different reasons to come in and kind of declare that you're part of the community because you're going to be getting something even more additional to that utility of different wearables that will give you a vip access to something something special so I think a lot of those mechanics are becoming a big part of the marketing planning for brands that are already kind of tipping their toes in the metaverse. They're realizing that they're able to connect in a way deeper level. But also, I, I think there's a couple of really cool projects that I've, I'm, I'm participating in right now. Like, for example, recreating something that has been lost, a building that was destroyed. You can actually bring it back and you can enter the building in 3D form. And not just as a visitor, but as a contributor. So how can I participate in rebuilding this? Or can I uh, pay for restoration of things? There's a lot of like actual contribution now. And I really, really love that because we talk a lot about that. Like the brand values actually need to shine when they come to the metaverse. You cannot just use this as a new social media. Well, I guess you can. You can definitely use this as a new social media page. And I, I've, I've seen like, some people talking about the metaverse as like a new 3D website. That's totally fine. And that's one way to go forward. But that is not really utilizing the, the, 
the deeper levels of of engaging your community and the cool thing is that you don't really need to really like own land or anything you can organize events and you can you have same access to the to tools and documentation like everybody else so you can just go and start building or organizing events uh just go and meet people um one of some of my favorite events has have been just really low uh development requirements basically none so some of the nft projects for example they've they are communities already. They are social groups, but they've never actually met in person. They are Discord channels, so they know each other from the Discord tags, and that's about it. And then bringing them into a 3D environment where they get to meet each other as avatars. That's one of the sweetest things ever. Like, not everybody has played games, so they don't have this idea of like how it is to meet somebody in World of Warcraft. But when they meet in an NFT gallery and they can talk about the art that they love, suddenly that social interaction becomes really tangible, even though it's virtual. But that's where we start seeing those global communities having a place where they can meet in a 3D form. Whereas in, in the past, we didn't really have that kind of opportunity. I think two things you said there, and there was a lot of great stuff there, but two things I just wanted to dive, you know, kind of double click on. And they kind of are symptoms of the same cause. When people think about the future, they anchor to the past. That's just a human bias that's very hard to get out. And we talked about this with Kathy Hackle early on in season one. You know, there's people that are approach companies that are approaching the metaverse, whether it be a Roblox, Fortnite, centralized platform, or a Decentraland or other Web3. They look at it in the same lens as they looked whatever happened in the past. The problem is those same people had to completely reinvent their strategies and their brands for mobile social platforms. And they're going to have to do the same thing in the metaverse era. And the ones that are the, that are the early adopters and the earlier recognizers that that is the case, like Nike is a great example of a company that is kind of all in on the metaverse, whether it's web three, whether it's Roblox, you know, when, when you, when once companies wake up to that and they start to realize it and they potentially even have a metaverse evangelist internally, whether that's a formal chief metaverse officer or not, I do think every company should have a chief metaverse officer because it's an awesome title. But, you know, I, I, I think that un, people need to, once they get over that bias of anchoring themselves to what it works and, and what exists, then they open up the realm of possibilities to really be at the forefront of this technological evolution rather than playing catch up. And, and, that was just something that really called out to me when what you were saying. Yeah, there's, um, there was this event last week called Tampere Conversations and there was um, a guy called Jamie Suskind talking about how Ford was talking about, like if you ask people what kind of transportation they want, they just say faster horses rather than imagine something like crazy, like a car. And I think we're in that situation where we cannot really rely on just making things faster and, and bigger. We really need to think new and that's super hard, but we do have some sci-fi writers to thank for this way of thinking that we're looking at now. And I think sci-fi will give us some new tools and ideas of like really reimagining the opportunities that we cannot really foresee yet. And maybe it even means like taking a few steps back to that nineties vision of what the internet was supposed to be, but it wasn't able to become because of governments and corporations. Maybe there's some really inspiring um, content even coming from there, because that was a really idealistic perspective. And I think there's a bit of idealism required in order to think big again. 
What a great place to kind of conclude the episode. Mario Continent, Marketing Director at Decentraland, it's so great to have you with us today. I think we've touched on a lot of points and left enough to be explored in the future in another episode. So Mario, thank you so much for joining Matthew and I. It's been a pleasure to have you today. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Matt and John.